Good morning, welcome to Harrison Church. We're so glad you're with us today. Children's Sabbath is a day to celebrate children in the church. It's also a day when congregations renew their promise to care for children all around the world. One way you can do this is by supporting College John Wesley, a school in a very poor area of Haiti. With your help, we can pay for healthy meals, books, school supplies, and even clean drinking water for the students. For more information on how you can help, visit the table at the Welcome Center or go to the website at harrisonchurch.org. our scripture. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 5 verse 17 through 26. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal. Just then some men carrying a paralyzed man on a bed came in. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisee began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Stand up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, The one who was paralyzed, I say to you, Stand up and take your bed. And go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and and they glorified God, and were filled with awe and saying, We have seen strange things today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. So what a gift to have our children lead us in worship this morning. I, I say this all the time because it just gets, keeps getting better, but it's intimidating to follow such talent, whether it's the, the music uh, provided by our praise band or the music from the kids, the reading. Thank you so much uh, for being here and for helping lead our worship. We are now in our stewardship time. I didn't introduce that uh, specifically last week. But these next five weeks, we're going to be in a sermon series entitled Leap of Faith. And in that, we're going to be talking about what it is the disciple's life looks like. Last week, I talked about trustworthiness. God has found us trustworthy, and our response as disciples is made in trust of God. And what we believe God will do in this world through us, and how we believe that God will act in our lives for the sake of the kingdom. So we began with trustworthy. Today we're going to be talking about determination. 
We've got a lot of voices out there vying for our attention, and we have to be determined to be faithful in our walk. So if you will, please pray with me now. Gracious God, we again give you thanks for this day, for all that you um, do to share your love with us so that we might experience your grace more fully. Be with us in these moments of understanding your scriptures, Lord, that your spirit would prevail with a word that each person here needs to hear, to experience. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So this week I was getting ready for work and I had the TV on listening to one of the morning shows and I noticed or heard conservative Senator Ben Sass come on a more progressive news station, MSNBC. And that got my attention. I wanted to see what was going on, what they were going to talk about, how whatever they were going to say was going to be expressed. And so I tuned in, paid attention, and what they were doing basically is agreeing, if you can imagine. Interviewee and interviewer were agreeing, and they were coming together on this topic of concern of the divisiveness and the brokenness in our country, specifically. And how it is that we now operate with a lack of trust, with suspicion, dare I say with contempt, often, of people who have different perspectives, who come at life a little bit differently from maybe we do or someone else does. And and so it was just fascinating to me uh, to listen to this interview go on. And Sass made several different points that I found fascinating. He said, you know, we are the most connected society, and yet... Statistics show we are also the loneliest society as we've ever been. And he talked a little bit about how we might have a thousand friends in our social media networks, and yet if we don't know our neighbors, we are less happy. And he looked at the span of about 20 years and he said, You know, for 20 years we went from having th- more than three close relationships to having less than two close relationships in our lives. And in this span of 20 years, we went from inviting people into our homes for dinner 14 times a year to inviting people into our homes for dinner eight times a year. We are pulling apart, substituting oftentimes like-minded media, like-minded ideas for true relationship, for learning how to be with people who may be a little bit different, who may think a little bit different, and yet who are coming at life looking for the same thing we are, the pursuit of happiness, if you will. He said one other thing that I thought was so interesting. He said that 20 years ago, That addiction engineers, did you know there was such a job? Addiction engineers were working for casinos in Las Vegas. Today, addiction engineers are working for cell phone companies. They're hooking us. Can they keep our attention just 10 minutes longer to get another ad in? Can they keep our child's attention 10 minutes longer? 20 minutes longer to get two ads in, 30 minutes. Again, all of these parts of our culture separating us from having face-to-face conversations, from being engaged with one another in ways that are meaningful, working it out when we disagree, working it out 
and offering integrity and decency and valuing the people in the room with us regardless of perspective or experience, point of view, if you will. And if there is going to be a solution to all of this, should it not be the people of God who offer it? Should it not be you and I who worship a Savior who, above all else, offered salvation through relationship? Who valued relationship over the law? Who valued the human being over the judgment? Who valued us enough to welcome us into discipleship and to welcome us into the kingdom of God and then asks us to do likewise for our neighbors, our neighbors that we know Our neighbors that we don't know, our neighbors who think like us, our neighbors who don't think like us. If the people of God won't do this as we model our Savior, who's going to do it? Who among us is going to be willing to say relationships are the way to be? And who else but us would, would cry out for relationship mattering? You know, this gospel lesson, uh, I'm sure we've heard it again. Like I said last week, there are often a couple miracles going on in in our texts, in our gospel lessons. There's a miracle that's obvious, and there's a miracle that's not so obvious. And so we come to this text today, and we take a look at what's going on. And I find it fascinating that Jesus has come to a home. The Gospel of Mark, when when this uh, passage or story is told, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is in a home having dinner and teaching gathering with those who have come into the, into the room and teaching them. So we find this um, similar situation in Luke, and Jesus has, has these people in the room that he's teaching, and more want to come in, and yet the way is blocked. There are some friends who are bringing a friend who can't walk, a paralytic, to Jesus, knowing he needs Jesus on a multitude of levels, just like everybody else, and who want to get their friend to Jesus. And the door is blocked and nobody's making room. Can you imagine? Nobody's making room. It's as if those in the room think that they have more of a right to be there than the man who's being carried by his friends. Now, you might say, well, they got there first. Okay, is that kingdom talk? In one of my churches, we had a, a couple that loved to sit on the end of the row, and they would get there early. Now, I, I'm not seeing this here, but they, they would get there early, and they'd perch on the end of the row, row, and heaven help anybody that wanted to get in by them. They might get up and make room, but they'd shoot them a look. And I, Come on, people. I, got, I mean, really. We can, yeah. So, so room is not made for one who needs Christ, basically, is what is going on. And so the friends get creative, and I love it. I love, I love it. They get creative, and they decide, well, if we can't get in through the door, we're going in through the roof. <laughs> and they climb up on the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down into the presence of Jesus, and Jesus loves it too. Jesus I think, loves their creativity, loves their determination, appreciates all that they will do to make sure that their friend comes into his presence, and he praises the disciples' faith. He praises, I think that's the first thing we need to notice, he praises the faith of the friends. 
first. He praises their faith because he knows that they will do anything to get someone else into his presence. I love that. These friends will do whatever it takes, including climbing up on a roof, cutting a hole in the roof, and lowering their friend down into the presence of God. I love that. When something's blocking our way, are we willing to get creative? Jesus gives us license to. When something's blocking the way of someone else whom we care about, someone else who we, again, may or may not know, when there is anything that stands in the way of somebody coming into the presence of God, are we willing to do what it takes to make sure they get to him? Jesus praised these friends, and then he turned to the man on the rug and forgave his sins. Now, we got a little bit of theology going on here in in the days gone by, or at least in that time. People often connected physical ailments with sin. We don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. But anyway, Jesus forgave the man's sin, and you know what happens next? The Pharisees and the scribes, this is the first time we meet the Pharisees and the scribes in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees are the religious professionals. And the scribes are those who write things down, right? Who keep telling the story and who who relate it to the people of God. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are there. They've blocked the way, first of all. And, And even if you think they did it inadvertently, even if you think they didn't mean to, as the story goes on, you can see where it is. They like their prestige. They like their place of honor. They like being the people in the know. And you might begin to think, well, maybe they weren't so unintentional in their behavior. Maybe they truly didn't want to give up their space. Maybe they thought they had the right to Jesus again more than someone else. But anyway, first time we meet the Pharisees and the scribes. And immediately, if they weren't angry before, they're angry now. And they get all red in the face. You can just see it. And Jesus perceives what's going on. And and they get all huffy. And you can just tell when somebody's getting angry or anxious. And you can just feel it come into the room. And so Jesus perceives what's going on. And he says, what in the world are you doing? Why in the world are you upset? I have simply forgiven the sins of this man. And would you say that it is easier for me to forgive this man's sins or to heal his situation, to change his life, not just spiritually but physically? What's wrong with it, you people of God? You people who evidently value law over relationship. The Pharisees are the purity police. They don't want anybody around who doesn't cut the muster. And, and they're willing to do a lot to prevent that from happening. And so the Pharisees are those who want to have strict adherence to the law, even when somebody's life is at stake. Even when somebody's physical or emotional or spiritual encounter is right at the brink, the Pharisees would prefer the law. The Pharisees would prefer the separation as it's always been. The Pharisees prefer, again, to keep their status, to maintain their spot in the hierarchy. And yet Jesus comes in and turns that world upside down. I'm not having that. Jesus would say, I am not having it. I'm not here to abolish the law, but I am here to put people first. Because people matter so much more to me than words on a page. 
And I will put people first. And I will offer grace. And I will pronounce forgiveness of this man's sins. And then you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to heal him. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to make sure that not only his life is different spiritually, I'm going to make sure it's different physically. And he tells the man to get up and to go on his way that he has been healed. And you know... There's two perspectives going on in this story, two responses to what Jesus is doing. One group is going to yell blasphemy and get all hot and bothered. And one group is going to yell glory. Blasphemy from those who would subject people to the law and glory from those who have had a living encounter with Jesus Christ and know that first and foremost, all of us individually and as a group need grace more than anything else. And when Jesus provides it, they just want to glorify him and give thanks to what God has done. There is brokenness all around us. We oftentimes are paralyzed by our own perspective, our own belief, our own understanding of how things should be. And yet Jesus says, I value people more than opinion. I value reconciliation more than division. I value the determination of the believer who wants to bring just one more person into my presence, who wants to make sure just one more person has access to me, access to grace. I value this above all else. Which begs the question of us, where do our values lie? What kind of world do we want to be a part of? What kind of world do we want to create? What kind of world are we determined like Christ has to change for the sake of relationship? Has to change on behalf of grace? What kind of world are we willing to be part of as those who've been in the presence of God and then want to make room for everybody else to come as well? That's the world as Jesus is setting it up. It's not that beliefs don't matter. It's not that the perspectives aren't important. It, but it's that relationship is absolutely first on the table for Christ. Absolutely number one for Jesus. What about us? Where do you and I fall in that understanding of how life is to operate how do we respond to the grace as we've received it what do we do to make sure again that just one more friend finds a place in front of God and that there is access for yet one more person and one more person and one person after that this is what Jesus was about you know I learned a long time ago that if I'm ever going to make a mistake and I make plenty If I'm ever going to err, it's going to be on the side of grace. It's going to be on the side of love. It's going to be on the side of what I think Jesus wants to do, not just in and through me, but in and through the church. Jesus' sights are so much bigger than us gathered here, and yet his vision is narrowing in on us. 
because he wants us to be a part of it. And what are we going to do? I know we're afraid to get it wrong. I know that the shoulds rule our lives more often than not. And yet, if we're going to make a mistake, do we not make it in the name of love, in the name of grace? What are we determined to do? In this story, Jesus praises the faith of the ones who are determined for their friend to get to Christ. He praises the ones that have set their sights on him and want to make sure there is room for yet another. What do we set our sights on, people of God? What do we set our sights on as a church? God, help us to see that there's always, there's plenty of room for another and another and another. What are we determining for our future and who we want to be a part of it? I love it when Jesus speaks right into where we are today, right into the division, right into the, to the animosity, right, at, you know, I think in that interview, Sass said, you know, there's, there's division among people, there's this chasm among people, and so more often than not, we fill that void with contempt. God, help us. That void for the people of God is filled with grace. That void for the people of God is to be filled with love. Do we have to set our sights on that and be determined to take another step on the journey? Another step in our own discipleship, another step so that more people get to join the fun. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks again for your holy word, for the ways it calls on us to respond and behave. Lord, where there is division, help us to be a people of reconciliation. Where there is spite or contempt, help us to be a people of grace. Lord, simply help us to be a people who reflect you and your love for this great big world. For it's not only in the name of Christ that we pray, it is also in the name of Christ that we are called to live. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. As always, you can find out the latest happenings at Harrison on Facebook or on our website at harrisonchurch.org. 